everybody, it's me, Emmy. I'm just your average coffee-loving girl trying to navigate life and what it means to follow Jesus. You see, I started this podcast as a way to keep me accountable in my personal Bible reading goals. And also, I wanted to create a safe space to share how I'm applying God's word to my everyday situations. Honestly, I just have a lot of questions and I figured, well, you probably do too. So why not just come along for the ride as I read through my devos and try to figure out life and Jesus. So grab your Bibles, grab your coffee. Let's dive in. Welcome back, amigos. The title of today's episode is For He is Present, and we are diving into 1 Kings chapter 18 and 19. So that's going to be super awesome. It's actually kind of funny because I talked about it a few days ago as like that's where my brain went in connection to a different passage, and like now we're actually here. So it was just a little funny for me. But let us dive in because this is a lot of good reads, and I want to share it with you. Okay, so 1 Kings 18, we're starting at verse 17. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is that you, the one ruining Israel? He replied, I have not ruined Israel, but you and your father's family have, because you have abandoned the Lord's commands and followed the Baals. I feel like they got some beef. Not feel like, I really do know they got some beef going on. Anyways, now summon all Israel to meet me at Mount Carmel along with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Like, he says, show up. What's up? Meet me outside. So Ahab summoned all the Israelites and gathered the prophets at Mount Carmel. Then Elijah approached all the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. Period. That's it. But if Baal, follow him. Like, not even but if Baal is God because he's not. So he didn't even give him that, that option of a, of a little baby title over there. Nothing. He said, just, just don't. But the people didn't answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I am the only remaining prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets have 450 men. So let two bulls be given to us. They are to choose one bull for themselves, cut it in pieces, place it on the wood, but not light the fire. I will prepare the other bull and place it on the wood, but not light the fire. Then you call on the name of your God. I'll call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers with fire is God. And all the people answered, that's fine. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, since you are so numerous, choose for yourself one bull and prepare it first. Look at Elijah being so gracious. He said, you go first. You got more people than me. Just go ahead and get it done. Then call on the name of your God, but don't light the fire. Like, don't try to cheat. Don't light the fire. So they took the bowl that he gave them, prepared it, and called in the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, Baal, answer us. But there was no sound. No one answered. Then they danced around the altar that they had made. At noon, Elijah mocked them. He said, shout loudly, for he's a God. Maybe he's thinking it over. Maybe he has wandered away. Or maybe he's on the road. Perhaps he's sleeping and we'll wake up. Elijah's straight up bullying them. And I'm here for this moment because I'm loving it. This is this is so hilarious to me because, I don't know, I feel like if I was Elijah, I probably would have made fun of them too, looking crazy. But what gets me is, like, he they're getting bullied and then they just try harder. They're just trying harder in this moment, like, Guys, please give it up. We already know who the one true God is. I mean, I guess you don't know because you're following the other one, but come on, guys. So then they shouted loudly and cut themselves with knives and spears. Oh, no. Oh, no, honey. That's too much. According to their custom, until blood 
gushed over them. No, thank you. Um, I'm okay without that. No, thank you. All afternoon, they kept on raving until the offering of the evening sacrifice. But there was no sound. No one answered. No one paid attention. So after all that nonsense and all the drama and all the... Y'all are aggressively inflicting pain upon yourselves. And then there was still no answer. So, I mean, I don't know. I would have busted out laughing. If I was Elijah, I would have made fun of them even harder because after all that, just so sad, these last few words, no sound, no one answered, no one paid attention, nobody cared about them. But then Elijah said to all the people, come near me. So all the people approached him. Then he repaired the Lord's altar that had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel will be your name. And he built an altar with the stones in the name of the Lord. Then he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold about four gallons. Next, he arranged the wood, cut up the bull, placed it on the wood. He said, fill four water pots with water and pour it over the offering to be burnt on the wood. Then he said a second time and they did it a second time. And then he said a third time, and they did it a third time. So the water ran all around the altar. He even filled the trench with water. Now, I don't know if y'all remember from the last episode that I talked about this. This was a big deal because they were in a drought. So all of that water was like, first of all, where he found that much water. Second of all, water and fire don't mix. And third of all, just a friendly reminder, he was in a drought. So a little bit, you big wasting water. But I digress because I already reacted to that the last time I shared this story. Okay, so... Then, at the time for the offering, the evening sacrifice, the prophet Elijah approached the altar and said, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that at your word I have done all these things. Answer me, Lord. Answer me so that the people will know that you, the Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. First of all, Elijah straight up said, for all the haters that doubted me. Lord, show them what's up. Show them that I'm on your team and that you told me to do all this. In case the people thought I was also crazy about the whole water thing. Show them what's up. And what gets me is, all right, you remember a few verses ago, the Baal's prophets over here were done doing craziness and they were doing the most and nobody answered them. It said it two different times. No sound. No one answered. Nobody paid attention. Elijah gives this two-sentence prayer in which half of it, I feel like, is him being like, hey, let them know that I'm on your side. And then it says, then the Lord's fire fell and consumed the burnt offering. God said, I got you. Big power. Show up. Fuego, fuego, fuego. Doof. The wood, the stones, the dust, it licked up all the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell face down and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And I'm not going to lie, I would have fell face down too, probably freaking out because what did I just see? Like fire just fell from the skies, guys. We're just not going to talk about it. Apparently not. They just fell down and started worshiping God, which is a good response too, because when you see the power of the Lord, you should probably respond in a manner of like praising God. But me, I probably would have freaked out first and praised them later. I'm just being honest. But wait, it gets so much better. It gets so much better. Then Elijah ordered them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let even one of them escape. So all 850 of them captured them up. So they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the Wadi Kishon and slaughtered them there. Straight up murder. Let's talk about this real quick. He done eliminated his competition. In every he just said, you lost, now die. That's basically what just happened. 
thank God I'm on the winning team, and I am many, many, many centuries later because, oh no, I don't know if I could have been a part of that day. I mean, I could have, but like, I want to be there as like a time traveler that I go back and I watch all these things from a distance. I, I don't know if I could have been thriving in this part of you know history, but anyway, so Ahab went. So then Elijah said to Ahab, go up and eat and drink, for there is a sound of a rainstorm. So Ahab went to eat and drink, but Elijah went up to the summit of Carmel. He bent down on the ground and put his face between his knees. Then he said to his servant, go up and look toward the sea. So he went up, he looked and said, "Um, there's nothing. Seven times Elijah said, go back. On the seventh time, he reported, there's a cloud as small as a man's hand coming up from the sea. Then Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, get your chariots ready and go down so the rain doesn't stop you. Before I like finish up with verses 45 and 46, I just want to say something of like, I can relate to this so much in the sense of like, I wonder what the servant was thinking. Like he had to go back seven different times and seven different times he saw nothing. But he was going off of the word of what the prophet said, right? Like go check for rain. And obviously the prophet is receiving word from the Lord, or at least prophetically in this moment. So like, um, sir, I don't know how to tell you this, but I don't see nothing. And then it made me think like, how many times does God give me a word or give a promise or there's a promise in his word. And you know that God always fulfills his promises. He always keeps his promises. But in the moment that you're waiting for that to happen, you keep checking and checking and checking and nothing. And you're like, wait a minute, um, nothing's happening. And I, I don't know, I would have been discouraged. I don't know if I would have checked seven times. I might have given up at four or five. I might have not even made it past three. Or maybe I would have made it up to time six and been like, I checked. There's nothing. Give it up. Like, I'm not about to go walk up and back. That's too much walking. And nothing's happening. Like, I would have just sat there almost like a little bit in defeat. But the servant didn't do that. He kept checking. He was just being super obedient. But I wonder what was going through his head in that obedience. Like, like you're going back and forth, but you're not seeing anything. And I'm just like, I don't know, like that gets me so frustrated. But then on the seventh time, he said, "Uh, hey, there is a cloud. It's small, but it's something. And I wonder, like, like maybe that's what happens to us sometimes is if we could only just make it to the seventh time, we could see the starting of what God is doing. Like, it's always easy to look back and be like, wow, God, you brought me through and you done did this for me. But in the moment that I'm waiting for the next thing that God's going to do for me or provide or like, yes, you just provided for me, but now it's a different season and, it's, and I'm, I'm in need of a different provision. And so I don't see it. And so then I start freaking out because I'm human and I start freaking out. And I wonder if sometimes God is like, child, if only you just kept checking in, just keep checking in with me. Because when you start to see it, then you'll know. But until then, don't let all your craziness, anxiety get the better of you. So I don't know. I was just more thinking like, as I'm, this passage is super familiar to me. But as I was reading that section, I was for the first time wondering what was going on in the servant's mind as he's going back and forth. And then I kind of put myself in his shoes and was like, well, this is what I would be thinking. But all right, let's finish up real quick with 45 and 46. In a little while, the sky grew dark with clouds and wind, and there was a downpour. So Ahab got in his chariot and went to Jezreel. The power of the Lord was on Elijah, and he tucked his mantle under his belt and ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. First of all, Speedy Gonzalez up in here. What kind of, I want that kind of power of the Lord. I want to be able to run faster than, Ahab was in a chariot. That's a horse. Um, I don't exactly know how fast horses go, but they go way faster than people running on foot. That's for sure. And Ahab was already like further 
ahead, if that makes sense. So, like, Elijah had gone back to the mountain. So, Elijah was a little further behind from Ahab. So, he had to run that speed, you know, to catch up and then run ahead of Ahab. And I'm, like, trying to figure out how fast was you going, my guy? Like, oh, man, I wish I could have been there to see that. Oh, Elijah had horsepower before there was horsepower, but but it was God power. That's so awesome. Okay, anyways, uh, 1 Kings 19 is what's coming up next. So let's read that together. Ahab told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel got big mad. No, that's not what it says. It says that she sent a messenger to Elijah saying, May the gods punish me and do so severely if I don't make your life like the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then Elijah became afraid and immediately ran for his life. First of all, there's a lot you could say about my man's Elijah here. But one thing that I just want to be so clear is that he is human. A lot of people, I've heard it said before, and like people can make comments of like, oh, how did Elijah go from seeing God's big display of power with the fire? And then all of a sudden, you know, he don't have no faith anymore. You know, at the slightest, um, I don't even know what the word is, but like at the slightest thought of like, oh, Je- Jezebel's big mad at him and now she's coming for him. Now he wants to get afraid. Um, excuse me, sir. He's human. First of all, if somebody was going to tell me, and first of all, if someone was going to threaten me, period, you don't have to be as aggressive to kill me, but just threaten me, I'm going to be afraid. I'm going to have a moment, a lot of moments. And Elijah and is every has every right to be afraid. He has every right to run for his life because somebody's trying to kill him. I probably would have done the same. Just insert, became afraid and cried and then ran for your life. And it would have said Emmy right in front of Elijah. Like that would have been my reaction. So I love that the Bible shows us how human these people are, how human his messenger is. Like God is using Elijah in powerful ways. He's done many miracles for people. And you know, he just was the voice from the Lord to the people and God at, and in that same story, kind of, we're seeing the other side of it of like, you know what, God just be calling regular human people. Like, I don't know, sometimes you look in the Bible and you're like, oh, wow, that was a prophet or we hold people up higher because, you know, God's using them. So that must mean that they have it all together or on the inside, you know, they're, they're good. They're chill. They're solid. Their faith got them rocking every day with Jesus. But no, like these are actual human people. We are all human We all got the same feelings and we all go through the same things. And so it's just an awesome reminder that God still uses us. So then it says, when he came to Beersheba that belonged to Judah, he left his servant there. But he went on a day's journey into the wilderness and he sat down under a broom tree and prayed that he might die. He said, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life for I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. And I've never related so much to Elijah than I did not write there in this little paragraph. Big emotions can drain you. I don't know if it's ever happened to you, but if I have like big anxiety moment that overwhelms me or I'm really sad or frustrated, even like if I get to a certain point of like really angry, it'll drain me in such a way that I need to sleep. Like the only thing that I feel like doing in that moment is going to sleep because all of that pent up like energy of all those emotions rattling through my body drains me and I'm tired. And so I can relate to Elijah and a little bit. I don't even think he's being that dramatic because, well, maybe he is being dramatic and I'm just dramatic. So that's why I relate because I would have probably said a similar prayer. Like I'm done. I done had enough Lord. Take me, take me now. I mean, I say that all the time for this, like slightest inconveniences. I'll be like, all right, Lord, take the wheel. When are you coming? Come pick me up. The earth is ghetto. Come get me, pick me up. I'm done. 
And so I can just imagine, like, those are for my slight inconveniences that I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go, done get picked up and take me to heaven. But Elijah out here is running for his life. So I would want to call it an inconvenience. Like, this is a major threat on his life. So if I do that for my inconveniences, I can fully relate to him doing it for something that's bigger than that. But, you know, I can just imagine the distress on his body. He also took a day's journey. So physically, he's tired. Mentally, emotionally, he's drained. And spiritually, he's just like, Lord, I'm done. Like, I can't do this anymore. So suddenly, an angel touched him. And the angel said, get up and eat. Then he looked, and there at his head was a loaf of bread baked over hot stones and a jug of water. So he ate and drank and laid down again. Then the angel of the Lord returned for a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, or the journey will be too much for you. So he got up, ate, and drank. And then, on the strength from the food, he walked 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb. Before I continue the rest of these verses, I just want to say something that I love so much from this passage of Sometimes we need to take practical steps um, to make ourselves feel better about big emotions or just things going on in life. And not everything has to be hyper-spiritual. Yes, Elijah prayed. And I'm glad, you know, he kept it real with God. But he also needed, like, like he just needed to eat and sleep it off. Um, I have battled a lot with, like, a lot of anxiety and depression. And I know that I'll go through my waves where I don't want to do anything. I don't want to be around anybody. And I kind of just eat and sleep, eat and sleep until I have a better day. And so to see that here in the Bible just, I don't know, makes me feel better about how I sometimes handle when I'm going through those waves. Because you can pray, but that isn't all that you need to do sometimes. Like sometimes you need to also take care of self. And taking care of self means you need to eat, you need to sleep, and you need to make sure that physically, mentally, emotionally, you're okay, as well as still tell God and keep it real. And so I love how the practical steps here were eat, drink, and take a nap. Okay, you need some more time to rest. You're still not fully okay. Then eat, drink, take a nap until you're better. And then when he had the strength, he got up and he went where he needed to go. And so I just am really relating from the human perspective of Elijah. Like I love seeing God in these passages and how he has big power and he takes care of us. But I also love seeing the humans in every story. Because that's where I can see myself and be like, wow, God, you did it with them. And they were feeling this. And that's how I be feeling sometimes. And then I, I know you're going to take care of me. And I know you're going to use me even though I am a hot mess. He entered a cave there and spent the night. Suddenly, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? A little bit. I did not get the sense that like God is talking to him like, hey, yo, what are you doing here? Like, what is going on? No, I almost felt like this was just an open invitation. Like, like what I really sensed was it was like a loving invite for Elijah to open up and be like, hey, just tell me what's going on, Elijah. Like, what's really going on? Let's get to the root of it. What's happening with you? And so he replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of armies, but the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, tore down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left. And they're looking for me to take my life. Then he said, go out. And stand on the mountain in the Lord's presence. At that moment, the Lord passed by. A great and mighty wind was tearing at the mountains and was shattering cliffs before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire again, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a voice, a soft whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And suddenly, a voice came to him and said, 
What are you doing here, Elijah? I have been very zealous for the Lord God of armies, he replied. But the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, tore down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left and they're looking for me to take my life. Then the Lord said to him, go and return by the way you came to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, you are to anoint Haziel as king over Aram. And you are to anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel-Mehoah, as prophet in your place. First of all, we went from big power God raining fire from the sky to a soft, gentle, loving father being what Elijah needed in this moment. When Elijah needed God to show big power, he did. When Elijah needed God to be soft and gentle and basically just give him a hug, he just, he needed a big old hug. God did. And God did not rebuke Elijah for his big emotions, his big feelings, for feeling the way that he was feeling. And I love that. Because sometimes, I'm going to be honest, I don't know about you, but I'll be feeling scared to bring all of my big emotions. Or sometimes I'm scared that like in my vulnerability of ranting and raving of how I'm feeling and the rawness of that frustration. Like, is God going to yell at me? Like, am I not supposed to feel this way? Am I supposed to have bigger faith or have it a little bit more together? Am I just supposed to be better at this? And God never does. He never yells at me. Always like a loving father. He just listens. And loves me through it as I process what I'm feeling. And here, God's reaction wasn't even to rebuke him or he didn't even dismiss his feelings. I'm looking at it and he's actually saying, okay, well, let's take the next steps. Let's prep to set up what has to come next. And in that, we see Elisha, who's going to take Elijah's place. I feel like I feel seen for Elijah. Like if I'm coming to God and saying, I'm done, man. Like, listen, let me tell you something. I've done what I've done came to do. I've been zealous. I did what you told me, but they're trying to kill all of us, and I'm the last one, and now they want to kill me, and I, I can't do this anymore. And God's like, okay, well, let's get the next guy ready. And it actually, this little exchange of the last few verses reminds me of, like, conversations I'll have with my dad. And then that's where I see the soft, gentle, loving nature of God. I see it so much in my dad. And, like, my dad is my very best friend in the whole wide world. And so when I call him sometimes, well, I call him all the time, and I'll just be, like, having these big emotional moments, he never really yells at me either. Like, he really loves me through the processing of those big emotions. And he always kind of just guides me with practical steps of how to feel better or what to do next to accomplish whatever it is that's needed out of that conversation. And I really saw that here with God replying to Elijah. And I was like, wow, I wonder if my dad, well, no, I don't even wonder. I know my dad got it from God because I see a lot of Jesus in my dad. And so this kind of, I don't know, reminded me of that. All right, let's wrap it up real quick with the last two passages of Psalm 56, verses one through four. Be gracious to me, God, for a man is trampling me. He fights me and oppresses me all day long. My adversaries trample me all day. For many arrogantly fight against me. When I'm afraid, I will trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Now, that's a lot easier said than done. Let me be honest. When I'm afraid, I will trust in you. I'd love to say that every time I'm afraid or freaking out, I immediately trust God and it puts all my anxieties at ease. But that's not the case. 
Okay, yes, what can mere mortals do? Well, actually, mere mortals can do a lot, and they can hurt my feelings, and they can put me in situations where I am not, I'm not doing okay. I am merely surviving and not necessarily thriving. But this is a reminder that I need to work on trusting in God every time I'm afraid. Not that I'm going to get it right every time, but that I need to really work on it. And so, you know, I can't say I'm there. I can't even say I'm close. But that's part of the journey that I'm working towards. So this was just a nice little reminder. And then the last one is 1 Peter 3, 13 to 17. Who then will harm you if you are devoted to what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear them or be intimidated. But in your hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do this with gentleness and reverence, keeping a clear conscience, so that when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better to suffer doing good, if that should be God's will, than doing evil. Now, that last line doesn't necessarily sound pretty at all. Like, it's better to suffer for doing good. I don't want to suffer at all. I don't, I don't want to suffer. But that little middle, little middle part in between the commas there, if that should be God's will. And it hit me different. Outside of, yes, I don't want to suffer, I don't want to be outside of God's will. I don't want to go anywhere or do anything that God's hand's not on me or on it or that I just get more worried about avoiding suffering, I guess, if you could say that in the context of this verse. Like, I don't want to be avoiding suffering so much that I'll exit God's will. Because I know that even if I'm suffering, but I'm in God's will, he's going to help me and he's going to see me through and that it's really temporary in the larger scheme of life. In those moments, I will continue to freak out and probably have a lot of moments where I cry out to the Lord and say, what is happening? Why is this? Why are you doing this to me? Even though it's not you doing it to me, but like, Lord, get me through because I cannot. And like Elijah, I'm done. Can't do this no more. And he's going to love me. I'll take my nap. I'll eat and I'll jump back on and I'll be like, okay, I could do this again. But I'd rather do that in God's will with him helping me through than not be in his will and then if I do suffer it's like I really brought it upon myself and now I mean I can ask you for help but I don't know a little bit are you gonna look at me like well you could have avoided this but now look at you I'm not saying that's how God's gonna react but I'm saying that's what goes through my mind when I put this in the perspectives of like how would I react or how does this apply to me what is even that meaning to me and so that just that part that if that should be God's will really stuck out because I I always want to be in God's will I always want to be doing what he wants me to do in life and just follow the plan that he has for me because it's probably way better than any plan I could come up with. I can tell you that for sure. So thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, because you are always there for us. But not only that, you're always everything that we need you to be. And today in your word, God, you showed us how powerful you are, but also how loving and gentle you are. And when we need a big old hug, you're there to give it to us. And when we need you to show up in powerful ways you also do that and thank you for the reminder that we can trust you when we're afraid when we're anxious and that it's better to be in your will because you're always going to be with us and you're always going to see us through so thank you for that lord in your precious name we pray amen i've noticed that i don't really be saying amen and i think that's because i'm constantly in like these snippets of prayers with god so i don't really fully close out to me prayer is like closing it out and i do that at the end of my day but I feel like I should probably get better at amening even the small prayers in between my day. I don't know. I took that prayer without ceasing thing really seriously. So now I just don't close out the whole day's prayer until the end. But 
that was a lot of good information to share. So thank you, my friends, for being a part of it. I will catch y'all on the next episode where we're going to dissect even more of God's word. Okay, bye.